All right, so a, a little bit of audience participation. Um, I, I need you to help me. What is the greatest boxing movie of all time? Rocky. Okay, well done. Love it. Okay. Um, so now that, well, I ask you to go way back, but anybody seen the first Rocky movie? Okay, a long time ago. Okay. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it later. Um, at, at the end of that movie, you know the story, Rocky Balboa is this um, Italian boxer who really has very little high-level experience, and through a weird series of events, the world heavyweight champion Apollo Creed ends up um, having a match, a, a national match planned for the title with this guy Rocky, like a nobody. Um, and so uh, you, you, they have this big, the, the movie ends with this big boxing match, and, and you can imagine who wins at the end, right? Um, but, but, it's, but it's not, actually, right? It's not Rocky who wins. In fact, Rocky loses at the end of his own movie, which is really interesting. Um, but the night before the match, he has a conversation with Adrian, and he redefines what winning will look like for him. And so I want to play just a little bit of that conversation for you. Can't do it. What? I can't beat him. Apollo? Yeah. I've been out there walking around, thinking. I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guys' league. What are we gonna do? gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing. I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. First of all, um, I think Sylvester Stallone might be a ventriloquist because he never moves his lips when he talks. 
but, but you notice what he did? He, he redefined what winning was going to be for him, right? Winning for him was going to be going the distance. No one's ever gone 15 rounds with Apollo Creed before. And Rocky says, if I can do that, if at the end of it when the bell rings, I'm still on my feet, then I'll prove that I'm not a nobody anymore, right? That I'm, I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. Um, he, he, at the end of the movie, if you remember the, the final fight, uh, it, it goes on and on and on, and um, Creed is clearly a better fighter, but Rocky just keeps absorbing the punishment. Uh, at the, the end of the 14th round, uh, Creed has a broken rib and possibly internal bleeding, and Rocky's eye is so swollen, they have to cut his eye to reduce the bleeding so that he can see, so he can fight the last round. Um, but somehow, they both stay on their feet. Um, there's a split decision, and Apollo wins. Um, but the announcer says, this was the greatest demonstration of guts and stamina in the history of the ring. Rocky's goal is to go the distance. I hope you noticed what was the word that showed up again and again in all those passages in Revelation. Um, if you didn't, yes, it was endurance. Thank you. you lo- I love it. Um, there, there's actually a, a, the Greek word for patient endurance or endurance is upomone. And upomone um, actually is really well translated here. It means patient endurance. Uh, and it's a, it's a really important concept throughout the entire um, New Testament. It really shows up in the Old Testament as well. Um, we see it in the beginning of Psalm 40, right? In the Greek translation, it's upomone, I waited patiently for the Lord. Um, I don't know, did you notice how many times that word appeared in Revelation? Um, I'm going to give you a guess. There's like three really important numbers in the Bible. There's three, there's seven, and there's 40. We didn't read 40 verses. We read more than three. So, one take a guess. Seven. Well done. Okay, good. Uh, so, in, in, in the book of Revelation, things come in sevens, right? Um, John is writing to seven churches. Uh, and so, we hear about the seven lampstands that represent the seven church and the seven angels, one for each church, and the seven stars represent the seven angels, and then there's the seven seals and the seven bowls and the seven trumpets. So it's not a coincidence that Upamune shows up in Revelation seven times, right? John's trying to tell us this is a really important idea for what it means to be the church. We're supposed to be a church of patient endurance. We're supposed to be a church that goes the distance. Now, what distinguishes Rocky's endurance from the church's endurance is the focus on Jesus. There's a guy named Gerhard Kittel who wrote um, the definitive um, theological uh, Greek definition, uh, dictionary of the New Testament, uh, and he writes about this word. He says um, that the Greek um, people's understanding of upomene actually very much like Rocky's. It's internal uh, determination. Um, but in the Hebrew and in the um, Christian faiths, it gets changed a little bit. Kittle says, attention is not directed earthward to hostile powers which one resists, nor does the one who endures draw the power of resistance from himself. The point is to hold fast to God and not to mistake His power and faithfulness. Upamune is pious waiting for Jesus, and it's the heartbeat of faith in the New Testament community. So it's not about my inner strength. It's about my trust in the strength of Jesus. 
Uh, and, and I would say, as John envisions the, the church in the end, this is a bedrock quality of who he thinks the people of God are supposed to be, uh, a people who go the distance with Jesus. So what does it mean for us today to have upomone? What does it mean for us today to be a people who, who go the distance with Jesus? Um, I, I want to suggest really just two big ideas. Uh, the first is that to have patient endurance, especially in Revelation, is about a public profession and reprofession of faith. A public profession and reprofession of faith. I don't know if you paid attention, but in all of those passages in Revelation, so often the ideas of endurance and faith are interconnected. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. See, uh, the public profession of faith was integral to this idea of going the distance for Jesus, especially in this time in Revelation. Uh, during the end part of the first century AD, there are a number of persecutions by the Roman Empire of the Christian people. And Revelation is written during one of those times, and it's written for people that are not only in a time, but no more persecutions are coming. Uh, and, and central to those persecutions is an attempt to get people to quit professing faith. So, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a letter from a Roman governor named Pliny the Younger to Emperor Trajan in like the uh, 113, 114 A.D., so maybe 15 years after Revelation is written. Uh, and Pliny is asking the emperor for guidance on how to handle the Christian problem. Okay? And he says, hey, whenever I have problems, I, I write to you to get your advice. And he says, oh, you have all these questions, you know, do I, um, obviously if someone's a Christian, they have to be executed, but, but what if they say they're a Christian, but don't do any of the Christian stuff? Or what if they do the Christian stuff, but don't say they're a Christian? Or what if they say they've repented of being a Christian, um, can I uh, have mercy on them or do I have to still kill them? Or what if they're really young or really old? So he, he writes to get advice about how Christians should be punished. And then he explains what he's currently doing. And he says this, Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christian, I have followed the following procedure. I interrogated them as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, meaning they said, I am. I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I executed. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked the gods, meaning the pagan gods, in words dictated by me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image, which I had ordered to be brought for this purpose, together with the statues of the gods, and also cursed Christ, none of which those who are really Christians can, it is said, be forced to do, then I thought they should be discharged. Uh, accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. I therefore postponed and um, hastened to consult you, for the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the farms and villages. But it seems possible to check and cure it. You see, um, as the Romans came to the Christians and tried to check and cure their faith, 
uh, the central thing they asked them to do was to give up professing Jesus, right? Just, just worship another god. Just worship the emperor. Just curse the name of Christ. You can literally live. You can walk out of here alive if you'll just do those things. And the story of the early church is, yes, of course some people did those things, but the number of folks who remained faithful is extraordinary. The heroes of this time um, from people that we know, like James killed by the sword, or Paul beheaded, or Peter crucified upside down, so even in his death he wouldn't be compared with Jesus, um, to people that we don't know, right? Uh, numerous Christians who were executed because they refused to recant. For them, endurance meant not renouncing Jesus. And so John says, blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Now, thanks be to God, we don't live in a place where we're likely to be executed because we profess faith in Jesus. Um, but we have a similar challenge that the early church had, right? And our challenge is, it's easy to profess our faith here. We have um, baptisms today where the families professed faith. We have new members that will come up later. They're going to profess faith. We'll do our Apostles' Creed. You'll profess your faith. It's easy to do it in here. It's harder to do it out there. In Matthew 10, 27, Jesus says, uh, what I have told you in the darkness, I want you to share in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. What he means is, um, absolutely here in this space, we need to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it ought to come up again somewhere else. It shouldn't be just a profession that only people who share our faith hear. It ought to come up out there. Uh, I, I've shared with you before um, that I had a, a friend um, named Rachel who, um, when I was in high school, in our little group of friends, she was the really um, faithful Christian. I was a Christian who was sort of on again, off again, faithful, right? But I uh, did a lot of stuff that I think most of my non-Christian friends recognized wasn't in the normal Christian um, behavior. Rachel never did. Uh, and, and Rachel somehow hung out with this group of unchristian people and then me um, and never compromised, never backed down, never turned away from professing Jesus, um, but also wasn't obnoxious, wasn't irritating, wasn't combative, she was just consistent. And, and I've shared with you before that um, I had an amazing first year of college where my faith kind of exploded and I came back home and my friends noticed. And I remember one of my friends saying to me, um, one night we were downstairs in my parents' basement shooting pool, uh, summer of freshman year, and he said, uh, Jim, boy, you know what? You're really starting to remind me of Rachel. And, and he didn't mean it as a good thing but it was the best compliment I ever got. I said, wow, you know, maybe finally I'm starting to be consistent. Uh, and so uh, this is our calling, right, that the end church, um, the church will not hesitate to profess its faith in Jesus, not just at worship or in Sunday school or on Wednesday nights or in prayer meeting or in Bible study, but in everything that we do, we go the distance. We are open and honest and consistent about our faith in Jesus. And this leads us really simply to the second part of upomone. Um, we have to have the consistent profession of faith, and we have to have the consistent and public application of faith. Uh, and again, uh, this is the incredible um, 
consistency of the people of God, um, they, they don't just name it, they claim it. They follow through on who Christ calls them to be. Uh, again, Kittle writes about this word. He says, unlike, unlike patience, upomonea has an active context. It includes an active and energetic resistance to hostile power, though with no assertion of the success of this resistance. We're not just leaning back and letting the world run us over, right? Uh, Rocky knows he's not going to win the fight, but he's going he's to try to stay on his feet, and at the least he's going to go down swinging. And so part of our job of patient endurance is to say, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be times where I'm different, where I stand out, where my willingness to follow Jesus and, and be consistent in who He calls me to be is going to make me not fit in perfectly. Sometimes I'm not going to fit in because my humor is going to be different than my friend's humor. Um, or um, my entertainment, the shows that I watch, are going to be different than my friend's shows. Sometimes um, my language is going to be different than my friend's language. Uh, sometimes my behavior with my boyfriend or girlfriend, with my money, whatever, is going to look different than those folks around me. Sometimes my clothing is going to be different. I remember um, when Krista and I were dating, uh, she uh, said something to me that really stuck with me. It was a little detail, um, but we were talking about um, women's shorts. And she said, uh, Jim, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just weird to me. Have you noticed that women's shorts are unbelievably short. Like the goal seems to be to make them as short as possible. Uh, and she said, I'm not saying it's wrong, but boy, you know, um, I, just, I just notice it. And I wonder if even that is a way that we begin to conform to the world. Now, I'm not vested in how long your shorts are, um, but I love the idea that every little detail of our life is a place where we can either um, go with the flow or go the distance, right? Where we can either um, conform to the world around us or be consistent to our profession of faith. Sometimes uh, those public affirmations or public applications of our faith are kind of those personal morality things. Sometimes um, they're bigger than that. Sometimes they're issues of, of how our world should be ordered and structured. One of my heroes is William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was a uh, uh, member of the Methodist church who um, spent uh, over a decade trying to uh, um, eliminate slavery and the slave trade in England. And it was an incredible battle, and um, there were many, many times where it looked like he was certain to lose. And there is a story that um, one night in the early 1790s, after um, another legislative defeat in his 10-year battle to end slavery in England, um, he went home and he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. And a little piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. And Wilberforce read it again. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing, 
go on in the name of God and in the power of His might. I love that line, be not weary of well-doing, but go on in the power of God and of His might. See, it's not our strength that lifts us up. God draws us up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and sets our feet upon a rock, making our steps secure. Uh, Our job is simply to continue to rely on Him. Uh, There will be times when we don't. Uh, There will be times in your life um, where um, your your patient endurance fails, um, where you have an opportunity to profess your faith in a public way and you don't take it, Um, where, um, like Peter, you may even deny Jesus, Um, where you have a chance to apply your faith publicly and you instead decide to conform to the world. And the good news of our story is that's not the end for you. The good news of our story is that even then, there is still an option to get um, back on your feet and go the distance once more. Uh, in, in 303 to 305 A.D., uh, Diocletian, who was the um, then emperor of Rome, unleashed the greatest, uh, the worst of all the persecutions of the Christian people. And uh, during this time, the expectation was if you were a priest or a, a leader in the church in any capacity, you either had to um, turn over the Scriptures, the literal copies of the Bible, um, or turn over the sacred vessels, the elements you use for communion, or turn over the names of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you did those things, you could live, and if you didn't do those things, you would be killed. Um, in, in Latin, the phrase for um, turn over um, is traitores. And so they started calling these Christian leaders who turned over the Scriptures or the vessels or the names of their friends, traitores, right? It's from which we get the word today, traitors. And there was a huge argument 10, 15 years later when Constantine made Christianity legal. What about all these traitores, these traitors, who turned over their, their friends' names, who turned over the Scriptures themselves to our enemies to save their lives? Can they come back and be part of our church again? And amazingly, there was a huge debate, but amazingly the church said, yes. Not only can they come back, but they can come back and be leaders in the church again. That, that their position uh, as, as members of Christ and as leaders in the church was never about their faithfulness, but always about Christ lifting them up. Uh, and and um, as you look at places in your life where you say, boy, I, uh, I got knocked down. You know, I was trying to go the distance and I got knocked down and I screwed up and I made a huge mistake. The good news is it was never about your strength. It was never about um, your determination or your willpower or your morality or even, um, even your spirituality. It's about the Father's faith in you. It's about the Son's willingness to die for you. It's about the Spirit's life that lives in you. It's God who lifts you up and sets you on the rock and allows you to stand again. And so um, may this be our challenge today as we um, try to live into the example of the end church. Can we be a people who no matter how many times we fall down are committed to getting back up so that when the final bell rings, we'll still be standing. And when the final trumpet blows, we'll meet the Lord on our feet.
Thanks be to him. Amen.